Hello, everyone. You're listening to In the Weeds, an agriculture podcast hosted by Monica Jean and the Michigan Field Crops team. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another In the Weeds with Monica Jean and the MSU Extension Field Crops team. Ooh, I made that flow well. Um, uh, my name is Monica Jean, and I'm a field crops educator based in the Central Michigan region, covering uh, the Saginaw Bay area. So I am happy to have you back here. Thank you for listening. And today we are going to talk about biological products and uh, just what's out there. Is it worth the cost? How do they work? What's the different, right? All of those ins and outs. And to have that conversation with me today, I have back Paul Gross. Awesome Paul Gross, who's, you know, the best sidekick you can have. And then we also have back Kurt Stanky, who, again, exceptional guest to have on here. And so I appreciate both of you. And I'm going to let you guys go around the horn and introduce yourself, kind of like what you do. So, Paul. Thanks, Monica. I think that's the guest of honor today is is Dr. Stein. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, I'm I'm just going to ask the ask the questions, uh, but I do appreciate being here today. I'm a field crops educator in Central Michigan, been around for a little bit, and and enjoy talking with Dr. Steinke about fertility. And you know, I think we're coming into some pretty interesting times from a fertility standpoint. We'd like to talk a little bit more about that. Great, and Kurt. Yeah, thank you, Monica and Paul. Uh, once again, my name is Kurt Steinke. I'm the uh, Fertility Nutrient Management Specialist uh, here at Michigan State University. Um, work across a variety of cropping systems across the state. And as Paul said, absolutely. I think I think we're in some interesting times uh, moving forward, especially considering uh, where probably fertilizer prices are this fall going into winter compared to last year. So lots of uh, discussion to be had. Yeah, that 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 kind of brings about one of the things I want to talk about is is uh, you know with fertility prices like they are, you know we're seeing an awful lot of uh, advertisements, promotion, new products, uh, the biological products that are coming out that are are talking about uh, being able to fix nitrogen. There's inferral things, uh, foliar. So Kurt, could you talk? What do farmers need to know about these biologicals? You know, I, I, I think there's a, a time and place for everything, right? Do we do we see some responses with biologicals? Undoubtedly, there are probably areas where, where you're more likely to see a response. Um, some of those areas might be what I call those shoulder pH zones, right? That might be maybe below, below six or maybe just below the high fives. And then when you get above the mid sevens or high sevens, sometimes uh, uh, biological activity can be inhibited simply by pH. So there's there's factors there. Um, you could look at it from a pathology perspective when you focus on a specific soliborne pathogen um, and, and whether maybe uh, an added substance or product might have an impact on disease activity. So there's a number of, of, of angles to go on. A lot of them out there claim to fix maybe some degree of nitrogen or maybe some of the other macro and micronutrients. Um, I always urge growers to do your own homework, um, do some, do some on-farm testing, uh, look at other research data that are available. Um, and it might take a little bit more than just doing a Google search. Uh, dig into to, to, to some actual published data on some of these products. 
Um, and then, it, you know, if, if you trial them out on your own operation or your own farm, make sure you do it correctly because there's a wrong way and a right way to trial out some of these products. Maybe could you could expand on that just a little bit. You know, we'll have a lot of farmers listening. What's the right way to test these on your farm? You know, and and with with these products, along with with many other amendments and and uh, fertilizers out there, first thing, don't apply it to your entire farm, right? Um, best thing to do is is try to strip trial it out and make sure you replicate those strips. Don't just do one strip with and one strip without and be done, right? We have to replicate things over time to make sure that should any differences occur, that it's actually due to what was or was not applied. So that's the number one thing. With a lot of the, the claims with regards to nitrogen um, and maybe providing some nitrogen uh, with some of these products, you know, if something claims to provide 20, 30, 40 plus units of N, then you have to have an N rate that might be 40 units less than when that product is is applied with a specific end rate. Um, and so if you're usually at 180, you got to have a 140 out there, right? To look at what 40 pounds less actually looks like in the field. Um, and then oftentimes you look at a lot of the claims on these products, you see grower chosen end rate, right? So if that grower chosen end rate might be excessively high to begin with, yeah, you can maybe cut 20, 30, 40 or more pounds and not see a difference. The reason is because that end rate might be too high to begin with. So you have to compare apples to apples, right? You have to have maybe an economically optimum end rate, not something that's excessively high. Um, and then if you claim to provide X pounds of N, you have to have an end rate that's X pounds of N lower to compare it to. And that would be a good, good starting point so that you can kind of begin to develop some sort of end response curve. Good. Uh, has there been a lot of university research done on these particular products at this point? There's been some here and there. Um, I know some of my colleagues have had uh, a little bit more difficult time getting some of the product. Um, some companies have been very, very forthcoming with providing product. Um, and then and then looking at uh, the performance of some of these products across other field crops too, not just something like corn and soybean. Um, there isn't a whole lot published out there on a lot of these products. And, and that's one of the big issues. It's They're really just not proven at this point in time. Um, and so again, do your homework, buyer beware, be careful what uh, claims are made on the label. Um, there's not a lot of regulation of these products at this point in time. I've heard rumblings of maybe some states beginning to regulate some of these products in the sense of proving that what is on the label is actually in the jug um, and maybe even proving that uh, once you apply something to the field that it actually sticks around and isn't a carbon source for other microbes that are already there, right? We have no idea if after application, if, if uh, some of these biologicals actually stick around in the soil um, and, and do what they say. So again, a lot of ambiguity with regards to, I think, some of the claims and probably with uh, how long uh, some of these products may stick around after application. Yeah, and this is maybe more of a question or a comment than a question is, I always wonder at some of those lower rates, you know, decent healthy soils got a lot of bacteria and fungi and things in there. How much, how much can those really low rates impact 
those large populations of bacteria. And and you know you're you're right on. And then especially when you look at maybe a uh, high end using or uh, end responsive field crop, right? Looking at something like corn versus maybe a low end using crop like dry beans, right? Very very different. Um, and so again, some of those claims uh, uh, aren't probably very well supported by data and literature. Um, and so again, just do your homework on, on what you look at in the field, set it up, set comparisons up in your field, do some on-farm work, um, and just make sure um, that that what is, is claimed on the label is actually uh, happening in the field. Sometimes we see a response to these products, maybe at extremely low end rates, so in something like corn, you know, may, maybe about 50 or 60 units of N total, you might see a response. But I think a lot of us listening today know what corn looks like that only gets 50 or 60 units of N, right? Um, and so, again, when you get up to that optimal N rate, oftentimes uh, we haven't seen a whole lot of data to support the claims of many of these products. Yeah, and some of these some of these products, I mean, there's, there's in-furrow and then there's the foliar. Any comment about the differences, uh, one better, worse, or is that still a little bit uh, too early to say, too? I think that's probably a little bit too early to say. Um, you know, when you have a foliar application, it's very tough to get a lot of anything into the plant at any one point in time. Um, and when you're planting, you know, whether it's in furrow or a two by two application or something like that, a lot of these products are usually applied to the seed. You know, that's the last time you're really in control of what that plant might look like moving forward, whether it's, you know, a biological, whether it's a starter fertilizer, whether it's a seed applied fungicide, et cetera. And so there's probably a little bit more opportunity there. Um, then you look at some of the, the variable climate uh, weather that we've had the last few springs. Um, looking at cold soil temperatures, looking at maybe excessively wet or excessively dry. We oftentimes forget about those, those dry springs. Um, those can create havoc on, on how quick that seed can emerge uh, out of the ground. Um, so there's, you know, there might be a little bit more support there, um, but we really don't have enough data to say maybe one is better than another. So like probably at the end of the day, you know, as we come into a year where there's going to be some really tight margins, or at least that's what the economists are talking, uh, feels like your your take-home message is, uh, you know, be cautious, spend money wisely. Yeah, and I, I think that would apply to the uh, biological sector. I think that would apply to um, our fertilizer sector. I think that's going to apply to our crop protection sector too, moving forward. Um, you know, very volatile markets right now across the board. Um, and we, we don't know how quickly maybe crop prices or grain prices uh, will drop or that maybe input prices may increase. Um, so do your homework, be careful. Um, and again, I, I wouldn't change your entire operation um, for a specific product, strip trial it out, do it on farm, do it across multiple soil types uh, or textures, multiple physical properties, high pH, low pH, to see if maybe you can find a better fit for some of these products. If you did want to challenge like increasing your nitrogen mineralization, is there a researched way, like instead of buying a product, 
Is there a way to do that? To increase the amount of N mineralized? Mm -hmm. Well, the, you know, probably the easiest answer would be increase your organic matter, right? So if you increase that organic matter, you're going to have a bigger pool of N available to mineralize over time. Um, but again, when we start talking about increasing organic matter, it, we're not talking a single growing season no. or a couple of growing seasons, right? We're talking decades, you know, in some cases, multiple decades out in order to, to accomplish uh, that practice. Um, and so again, that's nothing new. I, I don't think that has changed. No, but um, I think it's a good point to make, right? Like it's, we've researched it. We know if you improve your organic matter, you'll improve these things. And sometimes I think we get attracted to things that seem like an easier fix. And yep, so, exa exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, on, on the flip side, you, you know, with all the discussion of organic matter, oftentimes, you know, I'll run into constituents that think, you know, once organic matter mineralizes, it can get lost, right? So as that organic end mineralizes to ammonium and or nitrate, it's not uh, less susceptible to leaching losses, things like that. It, it behaves as inorganic end then too. So I think the key is we can't just increase organic matter in and of itself. You can increase it, but then when it mineralizes, we have to have a plant there available to uptake it. Um, so then that becomes a, a, a kind of a crop biology or, or that timing component, right? Getting that end to mineralize and then having that corn plant ready to take it up or that beet plant or that dry bean plant, et cetera. All right. All right. Well, thank you, Kurt. That was a, yeah. Great point. All right. Anything else? Awesome. So what I'm hearing, your take-home message is that if you want to try out some of these products, make sure they work for your farm, then you should do it in a strip trial. Please have a control. Please apply it a couple times, right? Have a couple replications out in the field. Hey, you can even contact your local extension educator. They would be happy to work with you to set up like a, a good research setup so that it's simple. It fits the size of your equipment. So you don't have to do anything crazy with your applications, but that it is replicated and you know, controlled. And so um, just that's the, it's not that hard either. I'm sure you can find an article on how to do it, but like, if you wanted some help, we'd be happy to do that as well. And I know like the soybean committee has some of those even. Um, so there might even be funding for you to get the product. So please reach out. Um, so besides that, you know, another way to do it, but it's definitely the slow gain way is altering how you manage your system to grow organic matter on your farm. So, and I'm sure you have heard lots of other podcasts on how to do that, even on this channel, because it's a common thing we talk about. So I set you up, Kurt, and you brought it home. Thank you for that. <laughs> Fantastic. And, you know, and I think one thing to keep in mind, you look at every grower, whether it's across Michigan or any other state, each grower probably has a different objective, right? And so, uh, you know, work with your local county extension agent, work with your land grant uh, uh, school on, on maybe how to set up some of these these trials because each one might be different just because your your neighbor uh, across the street, et cetera, may set it up in one way. You may set it up in a different way depending on the objective of your uh, specific operation. All right. Well, I want to thank both of you for getting on today. I really appreciate it. Paul, again, great, great co-host. And Kurt, we always appreciate having you on. So thank I you always appreciate us. being here. Thank you. Thanks, Monica. Kurt. 
This podcast has been brought to you by the MSU Extension Field Crops Team. For more podcasts or information, please visit us at canr.msu.edu backslash field underscore crops. Thanks for listening.